Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Well, This Isn't Normal. I'm Sarah Benincasa. And if you are a longtime listener of the podcast, you know, since March 16th when it started, you may have noticed that we changed our music. Yes, we did. Why? Because we changed our production company and therefore our music library. So that's why the music is different. I hope you like it. I think it's lovely. Engineer Jonathan chose it and sent it to me and I thought it was really soothing and uh, achieved the vibe I was hoping for, for the show. So my guest today is Casper Kelly. In addition to a ton of other things, Casper is the mad, mad mind behind your pretty face is going to hell on Adult Swim. You may recall from 2014, a viral video called Too Many Cooks, which was just absolutely bonkers, which as he explains on the podcast, he didn't develop necessarily thinking it was going to be a huge hit. He developed it, I I guess, because he felt, okay, here's a weird, creative, interesting thing I can do, and hopefully it will get me more work. Hopefully it will serve as a calling card for what I can do. And it did that certainly, but it did a lot more. If you've never seen it, please Google Too Many Cooks and watch it. You will feel like you are on drugs for free uh, and without any side effects. It's great. I mean, the side effect might be that you can't stop thinking about it because it's wonderful. But he lives in Atlanta, Georgia with his family. And I talked to him a few weeks ago about how he is managing in, you know, Atlanta is so huge and it has so many different neighborhoods and it is possible to be in Atlanta and have a yard and be in what looks like a sort of suburban slash almost rural but not quite neighborhood and yet be in this incredible cosmopolitan international metropolis. And uh, so it was cool to talk to him and to get his perspective on how things are going down there. And remember, this was recorded a few weeks ago. Obviously, things are changing and opening up more now. But I think you're going to enjoy this. He's really cool. And I hope it leads you to more of his work. So I'll talk to you when we are done with our interview. Hey, well, this isn't normal listening audience. I'm hanging out with my internet friend, a person of whom I am a fan and have been for many years, um, even though I think I watched his stuff probably for years before realizing who was behind it. And that is Casper Kelly. Hello. Hello there. I'm a fan of you as well. Well, thank you. Well, I think I think that I didn't know that you were the auteur behind particular things necessarily until I think 2014 was too many cooks. Was that the year that that came out? Yes, I think so. Which is so wild that it was six years ago because (laughs) that that remains such an influential, uh, like cult and not even a cult hit. It was massively popular on these internets. Did you make that as sort of like a, I mean, how long is the runtime? I'm trying to remember because in my mind, it just goes on forever, and every moment is like a deeper portal to more insane pleasure. But what's the actual runtime? I'm glad that's the intended effect, but it is actually <laughs> it's endless. But it's actually 11 minutes. I feel take. I feel like in some ways I'm still watching too many cooks, <laughs> and I really wish that I were. 
also. <laughs> you made that as, um, I mean, uh, uh, you made that for Adult Swim? Yes. And so, yes. And, and you also created Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Yes. Starring the incredible Henry Zabrowski, among many other people. Recent, uh, or soon to be New York Times bestselling author, Henry Zabrowski. Oh, did he write a book? Yes, uh, he he's part of that podcast, uh, Last Podcast on the Left. And they just came out with a book, yes. Oh, cool. Well, tell me how you're, like, where are you right now? I'm, I mean, specifically, I believe you are in some sort of office in at home. Um, but tell me more. Tell me, like, where you're located and where you're writing this whole thing out. I am in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, <clears throat> uh, red state or purple, some might say. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, in the suburbs, still in Atlanta, but not in the heart of the city, because that's more expensive down there. But now I'm enjoying the space and the bigger yard at this moment, you know, versus oh, yeah. the cool uh, uh, craftsman bungalow right in the heart of the city, you know, the cool townhome, a little bit out, but I'm still technically in Atlanta. But it's a 60s neighborhood, so far bigger yards than is necessary and that I want. Like, too much <laughs> to deal with. I have to get someone to mow it. It's Yeah. But it's nice now. And I'm seeing so many people on the street uh, than I ever have. Uh, I have found that to be true here in Los Angeles. I live in a northeast L.A. in a neighborhood that is very much a walking neighborhood. We've got a main drag, um, which is a lot of shops and things. It's not really a destination neighborhood in terms of being groovy or glamorous, but we have lovely, you know, it, it feels like a small town within this big city. And Atlanta is a city that I enjoy very much for many reasons. One is that it feels very familiar because it is so expansive. It is not necessarily a, a city that built up, but built out. And LA is much like that, even though both cities, of course, have skyscrapers and things like that. Um, so, and they have I, distinct neighborhoods too. Sorry. They do. No, no, absolutely yeah. true. I was there last summer. I was visiting my friends uh, Arden Mirren and Debbie Ryan and Payton Benz, who were all there working on projects last summer, and who are all based in Los Angeles. And I talked to each of them in turn about this, about the flavor of Atlanta. It has so many different sections. It has so many different neighborhoods. I mean, I love Toronto. Toronto is a city of a zillion neighborhoods. Every time I go there and I see a map, I'm like, what? This is a new neighborhood built upon the, okay. Um, but I have noticed here in LA, even though my neighborhood is a walking neighborhood with a lot of families and older folks who go for strolls, that I've seen more people out walking and I have seen them social distancing. Have you noticed that as well? Yes. Yes. If someone's coming with their dog uh, and you're walking your dog, you will go to opposite sides of the street when, as you pass, but you'll uh, say hello, you know, for, you know, talk a moment, but yeah, I'm not getting within, we're not really getting within six feet of people too often. Now I know that Atlanta has a lot of, of, of visitors um, who are there temporarily or who simply aren't or aren't Atlanta born and raised, but they become Atlantans. So Atlanta is such an international city, but it is still a Southern city. 
even though at the same time it's this international cosmopolitan modern city, um, it does still have that 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 vibe of southern hospitality and friendliness to it. Although people, you know, in small town south would probably say that it's there's a big difference, and there is. But have have you noticed a change in terms of? friendliness to any degree in your neighborhood in particular, or are people maintaining the same kind of demeanor that they usually have? Uh, That's a great question. And I'm not sure if I have, I think like after nine 11, I definitely, which I was here then as well. I definitely did. Like everyone felt different. You go out to bars, everyone was much nicer and, connected and you know what i mean like they were all everybody was sort of but i think i don't know if now the trauma is still ongoing that yeah i I think yeah (laughs) i hear that because i think about it now i was in boston not really a friendly warm city unless you know people and are from there but um i was in boston on 9-11 and i noticed a distinctive change in their sort of um brusque yankee attitude and i grew up in jersey so i'm used to people being uh a little you know edgy but very jersey people are friendly they're just super direct which can come off as rude um i found that in boston people kept to themselves more and yeah they're direct but they don't they're not necessarily i didn't feel the same warmth and friendliness but then again i was one of the college kids who invades for a while and then leaves eventually i dropped out and went to school and stuff but anyway that's another story but i noticed on the streets of boston not not at my little school but out and about, um, you know, at work, at the salon where, where I was, and all different places, that um, people were uh, friendlier in general, made more eye contact, and when they asked, how are you, seemed to genuinely care and be more open to saying. I think there was a, this veneer, not of civility, there was this veneer of cool that melted for a bit, and that was really awesome because you got to see people a bit more vulnerable now i think you made a great point this is can the the trauma of this is ongoing it's not it didn't happen a few weeks ago and we're scared about future bombings or something like that and we're worried about how everybody's doing and do you have a relative who was worked at port authority or blah blah blah. it's like it's invisible and all around us yes uh i'm going to tell you a quick aside about new jersey yes Uh, sir my parents are Southerners, uh, and they, my dad got transferred to New Jersey, and they were a little nervous about it, uh, and they ended up loving it. Really? They loved it. And my, my, yes. Oh, my that dad, makes me really happy. My dad, who grew up on a farm, said it reminded him a lot of his childhood of these little farms in New Jersey, and then my mom was in a bridge group, and she loved the directness of everyone, because she said a fight would break out, and they would just start swearing like "fuck you, you bitch," <laughs> and then it would be and then it would be over. And she said, "Well, here in the South, she goes, I have bridge partners that haven't talked to each other for ten years. Like it's just a slow simmering uh, cold war, you know." So there she liked that. There is something refreshing, I think, about now people in Jersey can still be passive aggressive. But that is not the cultural code. The cultural code, and, and New Jersey is the third smallest state, but it is the most densely populated state in the nation. It's incredibly diverse. So when I make broad statements about New Jersey, I understand that they're broad. However, 
you know, I notice and have a diverse array of friends from backgrounds in Jersey, different class, different, you know, ethnicity, blah, blah, blah. But there is a, the, the directness is prized and the, almost the best thing you could say about somebody is, uh, that's, that guy's a no bullshit kind of guy or, or, you know, Donna, you know, you know, you know, Shanice, she's no bullshit. That's like the, you know, and people go, oh, she's a little, she'd be a little over the top, but you got to hand it to her. She's honest. Like people appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. But then people in New Jersey also are so, I mean, I bet they loved if your parents have accents, which I know not everybody in Atlanta does, but, um, it, 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 I, people in Jersey like are so taken with the romance of the of, of other accents because you know our accent eh, it's not the most romantic in the world and so we're just like <gasps> you know people do get <laughs> sure like people get made fun of and razzed but like there is it's really um funny like and, and you know you see that for those of you who are listening I mean I have a North Carolina tattoo on on my arm uh, Is that right? I do. Yeah, I went to school. That's uh, Swan and Noah, right outside Asheville. I went to school in Swan, Swan and Nowhere in Buncombe County. Um, I went to Chapel Hill. You did. That was my yeah. first choice school when I was uh, a youth. And uh, good for you. That's a hard school to get into. I didn't get in. That's fair. I'm I was in state, but well, I won't mention that. Still impressive. Um, I got to speak there to a media class a couple years ago at Chapel Hill. Who had the last I, laugh now? Oh, I was thrilled. I was like, this is so, I got, they put me up at the Carolina Inn, which is so nice. And I was so happy. I was like, you guys are so smart. I spent the first 10 minutes telling everybody in class how smart they were. And I, so I think they kind of loved me because they were like, who is this ridiculous woman just here telling us how smart we are? Um, but, uh, you know, new, people from cold cold places get very excited about a four season climate place with a, a, a melodic accent where the winter isn't as bad. And so, you know, I mean, my folks have a place, uh, outside Charleston, South Carolina, they've got a little condo there and they just, they just love it. And I, I, I feel so bad that you all are having to deal with the shit you're having to deal with in Georgia and like just the difficulties in terms of, um, political shit and, it just, look, it's fucked up all over, but there's just so many good people in Georgia who deserve a, a better governor. I'll just say it. Who wanted a better governor and deserve a better governor, in my opinion? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, Stacey uh, Abrams is doing some good stuff. Ooh, she is. Um, she hit the ground running, didn't she? She didn't, she didn't pause. Fighting voter suppression. So. Yeah, what a cool person. And a romance novelist, too. What? Yes, yes. Stacey Abrams is a romance. Oh my God, Stacey Abrams is a romance. Now I don't know what name she has written under, but she's done, you know, or community organizing, politics, and has a side hustle as a romance novelist. Which just like, how cool is that? I mean, have you read one? No, I'm going to though. I'm I'm very excited. Wow, one of my books is called Real Artists Have Day Jobs. And I'm like, imagine your day job is being Stacey Abrams and then your side hustle, your artwork is like, you're like, yeah, I'm trying to like save democracy, but also I'm going to write about some bodice ripping. Well, yeah, I'm curious uh, what I, what I, what kink I can glean from there. What her thing is. I know. I'm uh, it's just democracy. It's all about, there's no, yeah. there's no sex in it. And it's then he talked about democracy and I, <laughs> um, 
it's just pure romantic and there's no sex. It's just like the most vanilla books ever. And it's all about equal access to voting. That's so great. Wait, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Atlanta? Uh, North Carolina. Oh, where then, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. North North, I grew up in North Carolina and then Saudi Arabia. Oh, and then, sure. Yeah. Right next to And then, uh, then a little bit of LA, LA after college and now Atlanta. Um, was dad, was dad an oil man or a diplomat or what took you to Saudi Arabia? He was an engineer. So they were building airports and he helped build, uh, our airport in Riyadh and Jeddah. And that was really, that was my formative, uh, middle school years. Um, it was great. Where in North Carolina did you grow up? I grew up in Burlington, North Carolina. And then uh, after we moved back from Saudi Arabia, I lived in Raleigh, capital. Oh, wonderful. I love Raleigh. I've got some good friends there. Uh, my friend Denise writes for or works for um, the North Carolina. She's the, the president or director of a North Carolina Coalition to End Homelessness, which does a lot of great work down there, especially uh, with rural homelessness, with people who are unhoused or are they're couch surfing and so on and so forth. And it's, I just love North Carolina. It's so special. I do too. Yeah. The whole uh, triangle has, a, I mean, the whole, yeah, the whole state is pretty cool. And it's, it's even gotten cooler than when I, yeah, I like it. And the triangles have got a very educated vibe. All right. Cause I'm very ADD. I'm going to go back and say, this factoid about romance novels. Yes, sir. Forgive do me it. for my asides. No, I am gonna. While we're doing this, by the yeah. way, I'm listening. I'm looking up her romance novels right now. Oh, please. Doing. But it. I have heard. You know how you know how you watch a movie, uh, like someone's gonna be a B movie director, and it's this in 1960s. And they're like, I don't care, kid. Just write something. And, you know, like it's very easy to break in. Like, I'm not making any. You know, I'm trying anyway ignore all that what i'm trying to say is romance novel unique to all the arts there is more demand than there are people who are writing them mm-hmm. so if you're interested in writing a romance novel the door is open for you and everyone's very supportive while i feel like any other art form it's like ah maybe i'll read it in six months maybe i won't like any other thing it's kind of there's some you got to do some scratching to just even get someone to look at it. I don't know. Romance novel fans are so devout. They're dedicated. Their conventions are amazing. They're so enthusiastic. People who write them tend to also read them. And you have, I will, you know, what's interesting about them too, is that I thought about getting into the game myself. And I, me too. Well, I said to my agent, Scott Mendel, shout out to Scott. I said, Scott Mendel, should I write romance novels? Because it seems like people are so, I loved the fandom, right? I love the fan base. I mean, you know, you coming from the world that you have worked in, in Adult Swim, you know, the the power of fandoms and how enthused they get and how like joyful it is to be like, what? Like you, this thing that came out of my head, you made a costume about it. Holy fuck, this is rad. Yes, yes. Not just an ego benefit either. It's like a community. It makes you feel less alone you know, as an artist, it's just, it's so exciting. So I asked him and Scott, it's like a dopamine drift, man. Yeah, no, it's the best drug in the world. Like you liked my stuff. I love it. Put it in my veins. (laughs) But, um, with Scott, uh, explain to me, a lot of the advances are very, very low. Not for like, you know, somebody on the order of a Daniel Steele, obviously, but for most. and, And so a lot of folks write who write romance novels, 
excuse me, they, they write a bunch of them a year. And a lot, you know, a lot of them either have another income coming in or they're, I mean, it's really hard. Like it's hard to survive as an artist on just your art anyway, right? And certainly most authors I know, the most critically acclaimed literary fancy pants authors, they've got other jobs. Now, maybe the other jobs are screenwriting or, or show running or, um, you know, they do amazing, you know, like Roxanne Gay. She tours and gives major, during normal times, we talked about this on the podcast, like, you know, fully half of her income, I think she said, was um, public speaking engagements. But um, for, for romance writers, you know, they really have to make a lot of them. And when he described it to me, I was like, oh, okay. Because at the time I was doing stand-up comedy too. And I was like, I, I don't know if I could jungle having a day job and writing romance novels and touring for stand-up on my breaks. And like, I was like, damn. Um, but I want, if, if, somebody, if this podcast encourages some, like inspires somebody to become a romance novelist, I would like to request on behalf of myself and Casper Kelly, that you send us autographed copies of your first Yes, please. If you were inspired by this. Um, oh. But I do try to, I don't always succeed, but I try to have a little time set aside to try something as a lark where I'm not sweating if it'll make any money or not. I like to try to have, and I also like to try new things. So I like to try to have that space in my year where I do that a little bit. I mean, too many cooks was that. I wasn't like I thought that would really be a big money maker, what you know, or a big career booster, but it was. So what I'm saying is, I want to write a romance novel, and maybe I will. Well, you made. Although I got to see what the conventions are. Maybe I don't know if <gasps> my idea of romance is would be the reader would like that. Maybe they would hate it. I have well, to. I have to research the market. Okay, so Scott told me. Now this is many years ago. I'm quoting Scott Mendel, my agent, from many years ago. So the game may have changed. However, he said that for some companies, not all, because there's a lot of cool, like the indie publishers are doing weird shit, the smaller publishers. I mean, that's the great thing. You got every possible sexual romantic taste in the rainbow that you can, if you write about being sexually aroused by spoons, like somebody's going to be into that. Um, But what he did say, Scott didn't say the thing about spoons. What he did say was, some of the old school, old guard publishers have very specific rules to the point where it's like literally by page 30, this has to happen. By page 50, this has to happen. You know, you're looking at a, for a novel, you're generally looking at a three act structure. Um, I used to, to remind myself of that, I, when I was writing one of my first books, I would get so anxious about it that I wrote on a paper plate. Act one, the beginning. Act two, the middle. Act three, the end. To remind <laughs> myself when I would go off course, which just seems obvious, but whatever. But some of them, depending on the company, like uh, there's no, you, you know, you don't mention penetration or it has to happen in a certain time period or they can't have sex until they get legally married. Um, very, that's the old school shit. That's probably, that's not like, Probably not what you and I would write. I just found the Stacey Abrams thing. Can I please read you the the opening paragraphs? Okay. Yes. This is from the Washington Post. October 22nd, 2018. How Stacey Abrams turned heartbreak into a career plan and romance. Oh my God. I'm so excited. It starts with a man named Chad. That's uh, okay. Get ready for the lead. This is the lead. When she was 18, Stacey Abrams suffered heartbreak. Her second boyfriend, a guy named Chad, broke up with her. 
I love it already. I'm in. I get He's such a Chad. What a fucking Chad. Rather than wallow in a tub of ice cream, Abrams sought comfort in the computer lab at Spelman College, where she spent the evening creating a spreadsheet mapping out the next 40 years of her life. Becoming the nation's first black female governor, a position she's now vying for in Georgia. Good God, I hope she gets to be VP or president one day instead. Was not part of the plan. It was not in the 40-year plan she gave as an 18-year-old. But as she explains in her book, Minority Leader, a memoir comes to help book subtitled How to Lead from the Outside and Make Real Change, her goals were nonetheless lofty. By age 24, she planned to be the author of a best-selling romantic spy novel. By 30, she'd be a, quote, millionaire running a corporation whose purpose I had not yet figured out. By 35, she'd be mayor of Atlanta. And it goes on to say she, she, she did become an author. None of her eight novels became a bestseller. But she wanted to write a book, books that could show herself and other black women that they could be as adventurous and attractive as any white woman. She's a big fan of James Bond and General Hospital. And she organized her college schedule at Spelman so that she could watch GH episodes. Oh, wow. That's really cool. I mean, I just love, I mean, God bless. That's pretty great. But there's so, she's just, you know, obviously she's super famous, but. I feel like every friend I've ever made from Georgia has been interesting in some way. Like, I don't think Georgia churns in my limited sample size experience, but I have met a lot of people from Georgia in my day, various different backgrounds, different parts of the States. Not a one is boring. Uh, And I'm so glad. I'm so (laughs) like, no, none of them are dull. Uh, and, And I'm so glad that you live there. Did you, did you move there? Like, like, how did it go? Cause I know you ended up in LA. I mean, I'm guessing that the the work for Turner slash now Warner Media, right, like brought you. Yes, I was in LA after college, then I moved here for the job at Turner mm-hmm. to move to Atlanta. I was living was in Glendale. Fr- oh, Sunny Glendale, we love Sunny it. Glendale. I'll be I'll be going to Glendale Home Depot soon to pick up my window guards because I adopted a cat for some. Company. Oh, nice! And oh yeah, she's awesome, and she's definitely uh, a demon. Like she for sure kicks it in that office in hell <laughs> with Henry and the gang. Absolutely. And what's um, what's her name? Her the name cat's is name? Polly. She Polly. was na- she was named Polly because she's polydactyl. I found it a little basic, but I rolled with it because her original owner who's in a, uh, in a nursing home now, um, named her that. And I want to honor, I want to honor yes. Maureen. Shout out to Maureen, who's definitely not listening to this. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she's got six toes on one paw and seven on the other. And I clipped them for the first time yesterday. It was wild. Now, are there other, do you have other pets or is this a first? She, let's see. So I used to have a puppy or a dog with um, an ex of mine who, uh, she still lives with him and is very well cared for. I, when we were kids, my, my parents would adopt pets and then give them away. It sucked. So it was always ingrained in me. Like I need to be a really responsible pet. Owner. Um, it, this isn't just a thing you try out for a few years and then you're like, eh, and give the pet away to a neighbor. So like, no, that's fucked up. So, um, I waited, I held out and I was, I had this thing in my mind. I'm going to, I'm going to sell another book or I'm going to, you know, sell another script and, and I'm gonna pay off at least this much debt and then I'm allowed to get it adopt a dog. It was always gonna be a dog. It wasn't gonna be a cat. And then uh I just impulsively decided when we started going to quarantine that it was time. How about you? That's awesome. 
Yeah. Do you have any pets roaming your property? I have a dog. That's our first uh, pet. And I was like, okay, you guys can have him. I don't want, I don't want to see it. I don't want to walk it. (laughs) You guys can have, and now I love this guy. He sleeps in the bed. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. Yeah. I'm a dog lover now. Now I get it. Now I get it. I used to to be kind of a sociopath about it, which Tina Fey says admitted in her autobiography that she doesn't understand pets. Like if a pet died, I'd be like, just go get another pet. What's, I don't understand the big deal. Like what? Yeah. I was a sociopath until I finally get it. Uh, you and just, I love animals you just, now. You just hadn't bonded with one yet. Yes, like you that's true. You bond want with one. Like I wasn't, I thought dogs were kind of like low-key, a little gross. I thought cats were fine, but it was weird that they shit indoors. I had had a different boyfriend who had two cats and they were lovely and I would help take care of them and even give insulin shots to one who was really wonderful. So I liked them. I didn't have anything against them, but I was like, ugh, it just seems like a lot of, ugh. you know, they weren't mine. I didn't have to pay for their stuff. And, um, then when, uh, my ex John and I adopted a puppy, a girl named Morley Safer, shout out to Morley Safer. She's also right, not yes. listening to this podcast. Um, I just fell in love and suddenly I was like, every dog is a friend I haven't made yet. And just like love them. And I don't know if I feel that way about cats yet. Cause I haven't gotten to hang out with any other cats. You don't really see them wandering the streets with their owners, but I'm just so into her. She sleeps on my chest at night. I wake up and she's standing there staring at me. Um, She's definitely, I believe that she sees ghosts. And I asked uh, Twitter, I said, because she always focuses on like a random corner of the house where there's nothing interesting. And I was like, why is she doing that? And really gets focused. And I was like, do they see dead people? And I got uh, 200 responses in the affirmative. Like, oh, yeah, wow. see dead people. I was like, okay. A few people were like, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in the supernatural. I don't believe in God, but like definitely they see ghosts. And I was like, fair enough. That's who, excellent. Who is the, the we in the abode uh, besides your beloved dog? There, there, there's kids, there's a, a spouse. Yes. A wife and two daughters who and are so, both teenagers. Yes. So you were like, all right, this dog is going to be yours. And now you're like, oh, this dog so much. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love this dog. His name is Gilligan. The children named him that after Gilligan's Island. They got into a jag of watching goofy 60s and 70s good-natured sitcoms. Your kids are Uh, so cool. And also, that's the opposite of, I'm sure it influenced your stuff, but when I look at your stuff, which is like edgy and wild and sometimes quite outrageous, I, I don't think to myself, yeah, this is a creator whose kids really love Gilligan's Island. <laughs> well, it's funny. I have one daughter that also when I was a kid, I didn't, I couldn't go dark. I didn't like dark stuff at all. Oh, uh, that wasn't until later, but I have one daughter that loves darker stuff and I have one daughter that doesn't. We all went to go see um, a live show of Mystery Science Theater recently. Yes, um, that's awesome. I love and, my, I'm friends with yes. Jonah. Um, and, oh. I think, and I think Joel's amazing. Joel Hodgson is fantastic. Yes. And my older daughter and I watch it anyway, and we enjoyed it. She's a super fan. My younger daughter, um, and it was a, it was a teen, uh, 80s teen movie, involving karate called no retreat no surrender (laughs) and my my younger daughter um hated the commentary over it and liked the movie unironically 
Like so it sweet. had good looking guys fighting. And she's like, I've seen this 10 times on YouTube since the th- she liked it unironically. And I love that about her. Cause I'm so steeped in irony now, although I'm very, I'm a pretty sincere person, but I love that she's that way, you know, that she loves this bad movie. Cause I love bad movies growing up. So we have such a, uh, knowing society now that it's harder to like those things, but she does. And I love that anyway. Yeah. You can, sometimes I think for, for me, uh, as somebody who came up in, in comedy, um, and who used to do a a fair amount of running around and partying with, with, uh, your own Henry Sabrowski and that crew back in the day, like 10 years ago. Oh, is that right? Oh, you partied with Henry? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like eight, eight, 10 less than that. Um, but yeah, I used to live in Queens and I used to, um, perform comedy at a place where he and uh, murder fist used to perform a lot. And so they was were the cer- cave or somewhere else. Yeah. The Creek in the cave. Yeah. So oh, that yeah. was certainly Creek in the cave. Like, that's right. My, uh, I used to co-host a podcast with Marcus parks called sex and other human activities. So that was certainly like a, a crew that I ran with, um, in, in New York for a minute, for a few years. And so like, but coming from a stand-up background, I didn't come from a sketch background. I didn't come from an improv background. So coming from a stand-up comedy background, the impulse is often the the currency of cool conversation is to be arch and sarcastic. And not that's not true for every stand-up, but for certainly with, you know, um, the scene I came up in, it was everything is sort of ironic and let's make fun of it and it's ridiculous. Not saying that that's how Henry is, um, but that's how my stand-up world was. And so as I got more into writing, I started to rediscover sincerity as a storytelling tool (laughs) and and as like a good, you know, human characteristic to have. And certainly uh, I'm a sober person. And so through the process of getting sober of the past year and a half or more now, um, a return to sincerity has certainly been a welcome thing. And I, I think that throughout adolescence and and my adolescence was wildly extended uh we sometimes try on different things like a costume different attitudes um when you were a teen what were you like Like, what were you what were you into how did you how did you interact with friends like were you the um sweet shy kid in the corner like what what were what were you into um Oh, uh, let me think about that. I, I, yeah, I, I could be funny and I could be sarcastic, but only if the bright mood hit. Um, yeah, I guess I was a shy person. I, I was very sheltered. Um, so I was a very late bloomer, um, probably the opposite of you New Jersey folk, which I look at and envy. Uh, well, you but also like, were probably, I mean, you were also uprooted in a significant way at least twice because yes. off to, to Riyadh or off to yeah. wherever you were like Jeddah, wherever you were living in Saudi Arabia. And I am assuming you, were you homeschooled or did you go to an American school? I, I went to an American school that was very, or uh, English school. I guess there were Europeans there as well, but it was very, that was great too. Like um, they had dances every week just to occupy the kids. So I came back here and it was like, what? There's one dance a year. That's terrible. <laughs> what kind of, anyway, but I, but I also was a guy who I was a total uh, dork 
before. Uh, like I, I don't remember the exact grade. Let's say seventh grade when in art class, everyone is making, we're making leather wallets and you're decorating your wallet. And I'm just doing, writing real big. I love comics, comic books, <laughs> and then superheroes on my wallet, <laughs> which I still have somewhere. That's so uh, sweet. And also, and everyone's like, bad. oh, let me look at, everyone's like, let me look at your wallet. But now I realize remembering it, it's because it's so fucking hilarious <laughs> that a seventh or eighth grader is doing, I'm making it older to be funnier, but is doing this. <laughs> but at the time, I'm like, yeah, cool, right? And I don't anyway. That was very naive, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Well, you probably weren't, uh, you know, you weren't a nasty kid and you weren't like in a mindset of like, everybody bullies everybody else. I got to watch out. You were just like, yeah, I like comic books. This is awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes. And now culture is caught up with that. Yeah. And I'm like, where were you when I was growing up? <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you doing? Now even a, a governor can write romance novels and it's, it's embraced. Oh, absolutely. Our country I, is... Be- Sex positive. I think. I thank the millennials for this. Yeah, a I very acknowledge. Accepting group of people to I a degree. Stacey Abrams is the in my world. She is the governor of Georgia. <laughs> in the real world, too. She just. It's just not actually getting to play out. But uh, I, I see a bright future for her and the rest of us nerds and weirdos. Hopefully, um, what are you doing right now to manage? You know, I don't know if you ever cope with anxiety or, or depression, but I think that a lot of people no matter what, even if they don't have some clinical diagnosis, that they're, you know, feeling a bit on edge sometimes. And I'm wondering what is the stuff that you do that helps you feel better, especially as a, you know, as a dad too, to girls who I assume are not in school right now. And how do you manage any anxiety that might come up? I am. Yeah, I do struggle with that anyway. Um, And ADD and procrastination as well. And um, I think in a weird way, this has been good for me. Like I've, I've sort of enjoyed it, but then it'll, it'll kind of, the anxiety part will be like a sneak attack where I don't realize I'm anxious, but then I'm just really tired or, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it doesn't feel like it. So, but, uh, what have I been doing to manage it? I, I, uh, I've enjoyed now that I'm just stuck in the house. I'm such a disorganized person. I've been trying to start a routine because my day is very much the same now. And I've enjoyed that. Like do the elliptical in the morning for just 10 minutes. That's all just to start it. And just starting to build a routine Cause I'll wake up and go, Oh my God, I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? If I have a bit of a routine, write in my journal, you know, you're going to do the elliptical, you make coffee, do the elliptical, write in the journal. And, uh, Brian Koppelman does this. I mean, he has his routine where he does his morning pages, artist way morning pages and, and he meditates. And so I've been trying to do that to a degree to fight my own disorganization. Cause I think a lot of my anxiety is from that. Um, and, uh, and then as far as my, and I probably am going to be a future sober person. We'll see. I don't know. The jury's out. Um, but I, what I do, I d- didn't decide on this. I just do it naturally. I shouldn't even say this in a podcast. And I, I might call you, cut it out. I, I might call you desperately out. later, That's but okay. for some reason I just alternate my vices. I'll drink too much. And then I'll play too many video games another night. And then the next night I'll smoke too much. And then the next night 
I'll watch too many movies and then the next night. So I kind of am mixing it up oh, or, eat, or, or eat too much. I'll yeah. eat too much. I mean, so then I spread out. <laughs> I mean, do you know what Zeppeli are? What? Uh, so Zeppeli are uh, Italian, basically like Italian donuts. It's basically, somebody said, oh, they're, they're really small. I was like, okay, they're not really small where I come from. So it's like a fist size thing of dough, sometimes smaller than a fist. It's pizza dough, deep fried, and then rolled in, um, in uh, confectioner sugar. And then my friend Greg Viola said his grandma used to also roll it in cinnamon, right? So this thing is a, is a, it is a nightmare. It will murder you. And I grew up eating them at the Jersey Shore, and I just made a bunch of them today and was like, these aren't that good. I can't give them to anybody else. Guess I got to eat them myself. But like, you know, I didn't, I didn't drink, uh, so that's good. And I didn't um, wildly spend, so that's good. But like, you know, it's, I feel like when it comes to, for people, um, for those of us who struggle with bad habits, it doesn't even have to be an addiction, just be bad habits that don't serve us well. Sometimes it's like whack-a-mole, right? We, we get rid yes. of one, we're like, fuck yeah, I got rid of, I'm not eating sugar, this is awesome, but can I masturbate for 17 hours a day? And Or, ooh, can I uh, get really shitty on Twitter to act out my rage? Like, you know, there's all different things you can do to satisfy that weird itch within. So I think it's very normal to alternate whatever the thing is. Okay. And if you're not hurting anybody else and you're not really hurting yourself, you know, you roll with it. Like everybody, I guess we all figure out our recipe, hopefully. Right. Eventually. Yes. And I listen to Tara Brock and I think <gasps> she would say that, you know, just whatever feeling you're running away from, just embrace that feeling. So if I can remember to do that, I will do that. I'm not afraid of that. I just forget. I'm just so ingrained in my habits of like, oh, that somebody, what are those things? You Zeffirelli's? What are those things called? Zeffoli. I like that you said you, you. That's the filmmaker in you that said yeah. Zeffirelli. I really like that. A Zeffoli. So it's like, it, it is like a Zeppelin in your stomach. Like it's not. So, yeah. I'll just see oh, someone made Zeppeli, so I'm going to eat all those. Uh, but I need to try to remember, embrace the feeling you're running away from. I think a I lot could, of yeah. people with an ADD diagnosis, um, I've never been diagnosed, but I have been meaning to, I've been meaning to go get uh, evaluated and keep forgetting. That sounds like an ADD thing. <laughs> also sounds like um, a, an avoidant behavior that I am doing so I don't have to actually deal with the reality of it. But anyway, um, Everybody I know who has has an ADD or ADHD diagnosis, it, primarily these are people who've been diagnosed in, in adulthood, um, say that they have experienced enormous anxiety as a result of the condition and that when it's diagnosed and they learn strategies for coping or they get the proper medication, that it has helped their anxiety enormously. So I think that um, when you talked about uh, disorganization and trying to implement a routine, that totally tracks. That sounds really normal. Like it sounds like your brain is behaving exactly the way it's designed or it evolved to do right now. Like I think sometimes we feel like freaks, not that you feel this way, but sometimes I know growing up and different times I felt like a freak. Like, well, why do I, why do I get anxious when I walk into a room where I don't know all the entrances and exits? Why do I blah, blah, blah. And you know, through working with my shrink, I'm like, Oh, okay. That actually does. That makes sense. Cause I, I'm, you know, stuck in hypervigilance all the time because that was for different reasons where I needed to be as a kid. And so my body and brain put me in that place so I could constantly be, as we would say in comedy, taking the temperature of the room all the time. 
So that's why people would say, why didn't, didn't uh, stand-up comedy scare you? And I'd be like, no, because you get to be on stage and you get to see everything. <laughs> like that was literally a reason I was like, yeah, sure. I get, I want to do good jobs. So I get nervous, but no, I get to see everything. I can see all the entrances and exits. I get to see people's faces. Like I get the illusion of being in charge. Of course I'm not nervous. All right. Here's a question about that. If you were in one of those stages that juts out and the audience kind of curls around behind you a little nope, bit. Don't like it. I don't want it. Right. No, no theater in the round for Ben and Casa. You want a wall? So. You're against a safe wall. I want a wall. I want a brick wall if necessary. <laughs> I don't want any doors behind me. Fuck that. No, I will walk onto the stage from the audience if I need to. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> That's what brings me joy. Can you tell me, this is random, but can you- So you like that? a gunfighter seat when you're in a restaurant? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And I don't have to, because especially when I go out to eat with somebody who, especially like friends who've done military service or what have you, they typically want their back against the wall, which I cede to them because I trust them. I'm like, if some shit goes down, you know how to use a gun. You know how to murder somebody with your hands. This is fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's, all that shit comes out in- in weird ways, I think. Um, this is super random, but yes. I've, I've been noticing the artwork behind you as well as we're talking. And I, I love knowing where, like how artistic people choose to decorate in inside their artistic places. So like, what, what are we looking at here? Do we have animation cells? What's going on? Yes. Oh, and here is, I'm going to have to t- swivel this very Ooh. carefully so you won't see the... Uh, this room is very, my parents just recently downsized. They moved to a little retirement place. So they gave me all these boxes of my crap from childhood. Oh, wow. but anyway, here's, I don't know if I could turn a light on, but there's Henry. Oh, there's a, your pretty your face pretty is going to help. Yeah. That looks awesome. And uh, there is, uh, I don't know if you can see it, the phone. I don't know if I'm pointing it the oh, right I way. Oh, I see a wall the phone from telephone. Too Many Cooks. Yeah, oh, that's from Too that's, Many Yeah. Oh, that's so uh, great. So this is all, up here, it's all crap I've worked on. Um, but downstairs, I do like to buy art. Like I bought a Lisa Hannawalt, who does the art oh, for, uh, yeah, she's great. But that was before BoJack. I bought a cool piece of hers and stuff like that. Yeah, that's the one buy, purchase I don't ever regret, even if it's a little more money than you wanted to spend. Because it's always on the wall. You always enjoy it. I don't know. So Yeah, and you but, know that yeah. you purchasing somebody's art directly helps them live their life yes yes uh so behind me is it's kind of the remainder stuff it's not the less proud but it's a, a poster for a show i worked on i created for one season stroker and hoop this is um a painting that was a prop from a sort of sequel to too many cooks about uh uh video game walkthroughs uh, that is a cell. Those two are cells from a Wonder Twins parody I did, and that's from Squidbilly's uh, cell from that. Um, yes, that's so, so cool. Yeah. Well, Casper, um, it's been so wonderful talking to you. Where can uh, the well? This isn't normal listening audience go to see more of your work and to get to know you a bit better as well. Uh, I guess they can go to my website, casperkelly.com, or follow me on Twitter, hey Casper Kelly, or watch my stuff on TV maybe in a year or a year and a, or for the live action stuff. God knows when it'll be on the air because we have to shoot it. Are you but, allowed uh, to say what it is? 
it's okay if you can't. Um, I don't think I can. One of it's for Netflix and one's for Adult Swim. Yeah. We honor non-disclosure agreements here on, well, this isn't normal unless you feel like breaking them, in which case we're like, bring it on. (laughs) Um, That's very exciting. Oh, and one more thing. So for people who are listening, who are interested in, in getting into writing for television right now, and let's say they didn't go to school for it. They they don't live in Los Angeles. Presumably, they would be open to moving to LA or New York because if you want to make sausage, you move to where the sausage factories are. Um, but let's say that they they want to get started with like the building blocks, you know, the calling card, let's say, or doing their own little training at home. What would you recommend that that people do? Okay, this is sort of a cop out answer, but I think it'll be useful. Is number one for a thing like that. I'm not into what is your best tip for it's not a tip. It's like a plan. Like you research it, you figure it out. It's a plan. It's sort of, you know, there's some things that are like, you know, so I would say the best thing this is what I tell everybody is listen to this podcast script notes yes. and, and find the episodes that are relevant to what your situation is. They have episodes on breaking into TV writer's room. They have episode on getting an agent, a feature. You just figure out the episode. They even have episodes about, I'm, I'm a screenwriter that lives in Australia. I don't want to move to LA. They have episodes about all this and they're both very successful. So that's what I would use as your first resource. Um, yes. That's excellent. It's not a cop-out at all. That's uh, Craig Mazin and John... August. August, yes, who are both incredibly successful and have done things across genres that are pretty interesting. So Script Notes is a great podcast. Thank you for that advice. And it's free. You can listen to it for free. What a joy. Well, Casper Kelly, thank you so much. You have been delightful. I am so glad that you are there in uh, the giant spread out greater Atlanta region with your wife and your daughters and your dog and your annoyingly needing to be mowed lawn. I'm very happy that you're there uh, safe and sound right now. Thank you very much. The feeling is mutual for you and your uh, cat, whose name I've already forgotten. Polly. Polly. Yes. Because she's polydactyl. Polydactyl. And that was Casper Kelly. Casper is awesome. Please check out his work. You can look at the show notes for this episode and I will have a link to Too Many Cooks right there. So you can check that out. And that is just a taste of what happens in this man's brain. It's truly a magical place, I think. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa. And you can actually go there right now. Usually the weekly newsletter Serotonin is only available to subscribers, but I am making the latest episode, the latest edition of the newsletter available to everybody. And the newsletter actually predates the podcast. So I've been using Patreon to create this newsletter for a while. First, I used Patreon to support a podcast that I did called Where You're From, which is still available on these interwebs if you're interested. It's uh, it's delightful. You can go to anchor.fm slash where you're from, or you can just look it up on your pod place of choice. And it's got some great interviews with people like Adam Pally 
and Ben Stiller and Michael Arsenault and lots of people. But then I switched to doing a weekly newsletter, which is really fun for me because it's like a zine from the 90s, except I don't have to buy glue or Xerox anything. And uh, then I started this podcast, Well, This Isn't Normal. So I'm doing the newsletter and Well, This Isn't Normal. So go to patreon.com slash Casa and you can check that out. You can also go to matrushka.com slash code slash S-A-R-A. Again, that's matrushka.com slash code slash S-A-R-A. And you get 20% off plus free shipping. And I get a commission on what you purchase. So that would be much appreciated. Thank you so much. And thank you to the Patreon supporters. Thank you to those of you who've shopped at Matrushka through that link. It is much appreciated. All right, let's get into a breathing exercise. <sighs> so I meditate every day for typically 10 minutes a day, except on the days when I forget. But on the days when I forget, I always remember later that I didn't enjoy the day as much or that I had a little bit of a harder time getting into the day. Once it becomes a habit, it really does become a wonderful, wonderful thing, and it does become a part of your life. So I recommend recommend Headspace or the Calm app. Both of those are good and have good resources. I also highly recommend any of the work by past guest Sharon Salzberg. She's really fantastic, and her last name is S-A-L-Z-B-E-R-G. So you can look her up and, and get to know her stuff or listen to the interview I did with her earlier this year. By earlier this year, I, I think I mean March. I mean, it's so wild that this has been going on. This By this, I mean the, the podcast since March 16th. And now we are at May 12th. Thank you to those of you who have joined us along the way. This is really, really special. And I appreciate you. But I like to teach very simple breathwork exercises. We don't necessarily have to think of it as meditation. Uh, it can be meditative for you, but I'm certainly not a meditation teacher. I do enjoy sharing the things I've learned that have helped me. So if you can, if you are able, and if it is appropriate, because I know some people are dealing with different respiratory issues, and I'm not just talking about something like COPD or or active an active case of COVID or something that, that might be rather serious. I'm also talking about asthma, allergies, things that may not be so serious, not be so life-threatening necessarily, but you know, could could cause you a great deal of stress and and fear and anxiety. So this is if you are able, if it feels safe for you. And if you're not sure, ask your doctor. Your doctor may have recommendations for breathwork techniques that are appropriate for you. So, having said that, I would like to just count five breaths with you. You can go at your own pace. I will go at mine. If it helps you to match my pace, that's cool. And just know that for me, um, what I'm choosing to do is to breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth. And I take my tongue and I put it on this little fleshy place that is right behind the two front teeth. So you can find that for yourself if you want to. You don't have to whatever works for you. But I breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth, and I try to get that breath down into my belly. So instead of breathing in a shallow place, 
up in, you know, my chest. Try to get that down to the belly so that it's more of a full body breath. All right, so let's get into five breaths. Here we go. One. Two. Three, and I'm going to slow it down for the next two. Four. Five. Now, if you can, move your shoulders. Breathe normally. I am moving my neck gently to get started for my day. I'm recording this at about 8 a.m., but I've been awake since 6, in bed, doing some meditation, hanging out with my cat, checking some emails, which I know they suggest you not do when you're in bed. But hey... I do have a job. It does start early in the day, and sometimes I'm not quite ready to get out of bed, so there we go. It's okay. Wherever you're at right now is okay. I wish you the absolute best. I think you're awesome. I'm very grateful to you. I like you. I love you. You rock. Have a good one.